So we have been talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer, and we've been taking that and breaking that down, really, week by week, phrase by phrase, because inside of all of that, uh, there is a great deal of information and there's a great deal of learning in each part that there is. Um, So for several years, my kids have tried to get these watches, all right? And there was these watches they wanted, and these watches that have a pedometer on them, all right? So they track, like, your steps that you take every day. And, of course, they've got uh, the old-fashioned part where they just actually have the time on them. And then they, they, have, they track your heartbeat and all that. They're, they're called Fitbits. Um, so they've wanted these things. And so finally we got them Fitbits so that they can track their steps every day and, I guess, see what time it is. We can't just have a regular watch anymore. All right, But what happens with these Fitbits, as soon as we start and get them and pull them out of the box, we're figuring, turn the things on and go. Well, it's never that simple. All right? So you turn it on, and you've got to log into accounts online, and you've got to set these things up. You've got to make sure everything is just so. And then they forget to plug it in. And after they forget to plug it in... The time gets off. And then the only way to get the time back on is to get the thing synced back up to your computer and your phone and log back into the account. And by the time we get back into the account, I get these watches handed me and said, my time's off by like 10 hours. And so I said, okay. So I bring it, try to log into the account. I never remember the the passwords that I'm supposed to. So finally, Mom has to take care of it because she apparently can organize the passwords well enough. And she gets them all linked up and plugged back in. And finally, they're good to go at least for a little bit more time until they lose their sync again and again and again. This doesn't happen like once every two months. This happens like once a week. Somebody comes in and says, I can't, my my watch doesn't work anymore. It's the wrong time. So we try to tell them, keep plugging the thing in. Keep getting it connected uh, so that we don't have to bring it back and sync it all back up. It's always a struggle for me to do it. All right? So we're talking about the Lord's Prayer And prayer in general, as we've started to see, prayer in general is not about this list of things that you gave to God for him to do for you, all right? Though we have needs and we have things in our lives that we bring to God, it is not this series of never-ending things that, God, if you fix this and you give me that and this for him and that for them... There is some sense of connection that God is looking for in prayer, okay? It is a sense of reconnecting, we'll say reconnecting to God. And every time you have a good session of prayer, as short or as long as it is, when you really connect in with God, you start to put those things those things 
in, in order of importance, okay, that God gives you, and he talks about these things. So a few of those things that we've seen is one thing is the priorities. All right? Our priorities. So let's turn to Matthew as we look back and, and read this prayer, and we move on to the next section here. But let's go to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 8, as we look at the Lord's Prayer one more time. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. So it's not about the list of things, okay? After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the very first part, we see priorities. And what are our priorities? God and his placement in your life. God's kingdom. That's important to you. And you put those things as priorities before you get to the section of give us this day our daily bread. Right? You put God first because you're connecting with God. It's not about here's the list of the things I need from you, God. It's the I got to think right about you first. Let me get my head and my mind wrapped around who you are before I get to my daily bread or my provision. All right? And yes, God does give provision. And we talked about that last time. But as we move on, give us this day our daily bread, verse number 11, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So the next thing is, all right, give us this day our daily bread. That's part of our provision. The other part of our provision is forgiveness. And forgiveness, of course, comes with others. Forgiving others, okay? We talked about that last week as one of the most impactful statements of the Bible is forgiving others as you want to be forgiven. All right? And that is just as much provision in your life because we all need forgiveness lots of times in our life. All right? That is just as much provision as it is the food that we eat okay? that keeps us healthy and alive. So the next piece as we get to is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we're going to get into a section of protection. We first have our priorities. Let's get them straight. Our provision of what we need in our life. And finally, we're going to hit this, this section of protection. Lead us not into temptation. And that is what we're going to look at today. Lead us not into temptation. 
And here is one we roll right by it when we say the Lord's Prayer. But there is a lot into this. I don't know about you, but in my life, I have had a long, long, confusing battle. It's been one that's brought me to sorrow. It has been one that has brought me regret. It's brought me anger with others and with myself. It's brought me frustration and depression. Sometimes it's brought me to relief and heights of joy. And I've been fighting this battle for all the years of my life that I can remember. The battle of my own personal sin. It's a battle. To me, it has been a battle. Temptation, I am ashamed so many times to admit that I have fallen into temptation again and again. And I use the words fallen into. It's not true. I walked right into it and chose it every time. I chose it. I've seen falls and defeats again and again, and then I see a victory, and I say, hey, I'm headed in the right direction, and there I am again. Another defeat. Another fall. And every time I do it, I go through the same roller coaster of emotions and regret and sorrow and forgiveness of God, which is amazing, and yet this, this battle that I seem to have been fighting forever and ever, God says, this is real, right? It feels very real to me. So how is it, God, that I'm supposed to not be led into temptation? How is it? What is supposed to happen in my life? Well, let's go back and look in the beginning, in Genesis... As we see the very first temptation, we see the very first one in Genesis chapter number 3, and we're going to see what's wrapped up around this temptation. It affects every one of us. Maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I'm guessing people are quiet because they all know, okay? (laughs) They all know the battle. Chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? The very first thing that shows up in temptation, and this is going to be a key, is this serpent, who we find out later is Satan. Satan is that serpent. He's entered into that serpent. Verse number two. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She's very clear. She knows the rules. And we all do. It's not like we don't know the rules when we get to temptation. We know what we shouldn't do. And yet, when we get there, we so often walk right into it every time. Again and again and again. So what does she do? Verse number four, she says, well, I know I'm not supposed to do it. 
because I'm going to die. I know the consequence even. In the day that I do it, I will die. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And when they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. So there they are. They do the very same thing that everybody has always done. They know the rule. They know they're not supposed to do it. They know there's a consequence for it. All right? We, we know there is consequence. And here's the funny thing about it. You can educate yourself and educate yourself and educate yourself, and you will never educate the sin out of yourself. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. You could recite it back and forth. Beginning to end, you could do it backwards if you knew it backwards too. And it wouldn't matter. Because the nature of mankind is sinful. That's the nature. And that day when Eve and Adam took and said, Hey, I think this looks pretty good for me. And that was their thought. For me... This looks pretty good, this fruit. I might get something a little more. See, it wasn't, the fruit wasn't the point. It was much deeper, and it was the, it's for me. And it begins right there, it is for me. With a big capital me. Now, however you want to say, well, okay, maybe, maybe it appealed to security for Eve or a lack of a trust in God or it appealed to her pride or maybe for Adam it, it allowed him to disengage and get lazy or maybe his insecurity or his greed or his pride or whatever it was. It really doesn't matter because all of it came down to core. Self. Who's on the throne of your heart? And there are two things that we do with temptation every time. We do two things and we answer this call. One is self gratification. Okay, I'm going to do it because it feels good to me. Or the other is self protection. I don't care how I affect other people. I will protect myself regardless of whatever else it is. And those two things drive us. The core is self, okay? Self is every part of these decisions. 
all right? Where we look and we fall, they often fall almost always in these two categories. I do this because it makes me feel good about myself, or I do it because I just want to protect myself. And I don't mean this in a good, like, protect myself from from uh, someone shooting me or something like that, all right? I mean this in, I want to protect my own way, my own self. I don't care about the people around me. I'm going to do what I have to do, all right, to get what I need. So be aware when our actions are not driven by thoughts and care for another person. When our actions are driven by our self. I want to protect myself. I want to take care of myself. I want to gratify myself. That's how sin often tempts us. One way or another, we, we fill those categories. So what's the drive behind it? And this is what's been the hard piece for me so often. All right, let's turn to Romans chapter number 7. And we're going to look at that. Now, Paul is a great man of God, all right? And he writes the book of Romans, and he explains hundreds of things throughout Romans. It's a fantastic book. It really gives you a good perspective. But in this part, in Romans chapter number 7, we see this very same battle with Paul. He talks about it. Romans chapter 7, verse number 18. For I know that in me... That is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. In other words, I want to do good things. Can't do them. Can't do them. I fail and I fail and I fail. Verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that... I would not, it is no more I do it, but that sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. In other words, my eyes, my, my mouth, my hands. I see something else happening, although inside I say, I want to do good. But something else seems to keep coming out all the time. Verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... With the mind I might serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, throughout that old English, he is just telling you of the war that's going on in his members. And he doesn't do the things he wants to do. He sees what he wants to do and what he wants to be, and yet every time he comes and fumbles and falls, he shows you human struggle. And it's true with every human. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. The thing about it is, 
Who's going to deliver me from this body of flesh, this battle? When I was younger, I thought it'll get easier when I get older. Yeah. Those of you who might be in your golden generation at this point, maybe you realize the war is not over, right? The war is not over. In fact, it may have come in some new ways, some new special ways that look so different. And yet, they go back to the very same core of the very same temptations and trials and, or struggles that we have been dealt with for years and years. Maybe repackaged a little bit. But the same struggles come about again and again and again. So knowing this battle and knowing this, this thing that we feel, this struggle, I thought God loved us. I thought he won. I thought he had victory over it all. Didn't he give us the ability to overcome and shouldn't we just have it and do it? Or can Satan still have power over us if he's defeated? I thought he was done on the cross, right? When Jesus died on the cross, it was all over. Can't, can those two things exist at once? That Satan seems to be able to get power over us, and yet we're supposed to have victory as Christians. How is that supposed to happen? Well... We actually live this way in a lot of ways in our life. And I never really thought about it, but I heard a minister talking about the law of gravity. Every one of you knows about the law of gravity. Some of you know more than others. If you've fallen off a ladder, it is a very important law. You cannot ignore the law of gravity. It happens every single time, right? If you fall, you're going down. And the bigger they are, the harder they fall. I know that. Okay? Except, when you go to an airport, doesn't the law of gravity still exist in the airport? Sure does. But they take big, huge planes that weigh way more than you and I could ever pick up and way more than most machines could ever pick up and they put them up in the air. Because there's another law that they follow as well. Now, under great power, they follow the law of aerodynamics. All right? And there's lift and things that they're built in certain ways. And that engine, as long as the engine is driving, and it, it'll, that big old plane will come off the ground and overcome gravity. Until when? You run out of fuel, right? <laughs> or the engine's cut out because you didn't take care of the engines. You forgot to fuel the plane, right? That seems like a stupid thing to do, to go up with your plane unfueled and not checking your engine out, right? Because you know what's going to happen. If the airline said, welcome everybody for sitting here, we're pretty sure we fueled up. Let's go. <laughs> you might not say that's okay. All right? And this is the very same way in our Christian life as we battle with these things. All right? The very same thing. Satan's power and push is still like that law of gravity. It's always there. It's always at work and always battling. And yet, 
with the right power and that higher law of aerodynamics, we're made to fly. And we should fly. And how do we continue to fly in our life? Make sure our engines are gassed up and that they're working right and that we've made sure that all those things are in, in the right order in our lives. All right? How do we do that? Well, God created us to fly. And those two competing laws, although they are competing, as long as your engines are going, you're, you're staying up in the air. You're in control. As soon as you cut those engines, you're not in control anymore. You're coming down. This is the way when Jesus said, pray. When he said pray, or like my kids, refuel, resync that watch, keep doing it, making sure you're right up and you're connected. If you continue to reconnect with God again and again and again, that keeps your engines checked out right, your priorities right in life, your provision, your protection, all the things you need to fly, you've got them when you're continually re-meeting with God. And when you don't, eh, we hope the engine keeps running. Okay? And probably you're going to experience a little bit of turbulence as you go. Because that's life. But if everything is right and running and, and on board the way it's supposed to be and you're all fueled up, ready to go, as you hit those turbulence spots, you're good. If you're out an engine or two, may not be so good at that time, all right? And the law of gravity will take over. Same thing with your Christian life. If you allow God to keep reconnecting with you every time you pray and pray and pray, you're going to keep flying. And when you don't, things are going to get a little more shaky, a little more iffy, till you all of a sudden just stop altogether and let it roll and say, eh, well, see how it goes. Probably not well, because gravity's going to take right over. It won't be long before you're going to go in for a crash landing. Now, that temptation is that funny thing, and you say, well, temptation, because he says, wait a minute, lead us not into temptation, right? Does that mean God leads us into temptation? Well, that's not really at all what Christ said. The very first thing and the thing that Christ said often during his time here on earth, he gave people this word. He didn't necessarily say, believe in me, believe in me, though sometimes he did. The thing he kept saying was, follow me. Get your nets, follow me. All right? Get up from the table and follow me. That's what it is. Follow me. Follow me. Again and again. Follow me. And so, if we are following Christ, then we're looking for him not to lead us into temptation. So what happens? Because I know people go into hard times in their life, even when they're having a good prayer life, even when they're doing the things that God asks them to do, if they're headed in that right direction, no matter what, it seems as though we keep hitting these big bumps. Because oftentimes, what do we do? We pray, God, keep us near you. 
God, help us to grow. And God does that. He obliges us with those things. And what he does is gives us tests along the way. Oftentimes, he tests us with hardships in our life. Little things that he says, I want you to depend on me during this test. But you're going to have to wait. That's usually what comes in. You're going to have to wait for this. Whether you're waiting for some big thing to happen or you're waiting for God to provide you with something, a lot of times God says, trust me. Let Just walk with me. Follow me through this. Follow me through this. And at that very moment where God is testing, and it's usually that nice spot where he knows there's tension already. That's where he tests you. He's not going to test you where you're going to go and it's going to be easy for you. He's going to test you where you need to grow. As soon as he's waiting and God says, here's what I want you to do. You wait for me on this. Trust me in this. Satan comes in and says, I got a quicker way to do it. I got a better way. You don't have to wait for him. I got a better way to handle it. You can do it all by yourself. Remember those words self that came in there a couple of times, right? Just in that statement. You can do this all by yourself. You don't need to wait for God. You don't need to listen to him. He knows you're going to, you just don't worry about him. You handle it yourself. You're a smart person. You're an amazing person. Now, he doesn't believe a word he's saying other than he knows what's going to get you. And he's trying. And that's where temptation comes in. Now, God often brings us through times of growth, and those things test us. But Satan waits for opportunity. And at the moment of that perfect opportunity, when you're weakest and you're most tired, all right, you're lonely, you're angry about something, you're hungry, whatever it is, he comes there and says, this is easier. Why don't I get you? Isn't it just easier to scream at the kids instead of actually having patience? They'll know you're in charge then. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's the moment where he comes in and says, I'll give it to you. Just, just you just do that. And God says, no, wait. Be patient. I want you to grow. So we're always in this seemingly battle. And what is the real core behind all of this? What is the real core? What is it that we can do? You know what we can do? We can say no. That's where the victory has come. Jesus has given us that victory. He has defeated Satan. He has said, you can keep flying. And I love this. Charles Stanley, I hear him say this every once in a while when I get a chance to listen to him. He says, but you get into that temptation, you say, but I'm so weak. And he says, you're only weak because you're saying you're weak. That's it. There is no, there's no weakness in you. As a Christian, you have strength. You can say no. You have the ability to say it. Even if you've said yes a thousand times before, you still can say no. But we choose not to. Again, 
We choose not to, and we're going to go on the roller coaster, and we're going to have our loss and our regret and less freedom and more sorrow because we're pretty sure that's the right way. But it's not. We're going to get our moment of self-satisfaction, self-gratification, and we're going to lose our peace and lose our freedom and lose all the things we gave it up. We sold it for nothing, for a moment of self-gratification. I don't say it as a judge. I say it as experience. I've done it again and again and again. He can help you to say no. Now, when he says, follow me, this is the key. Lead us not into temptation means I'm either following Christ through this to say I'm just walking through the test and I know this is a hard time and I can say no and I can stand up to those the temptation when it comes or you can be led by self during those things. So the ask is not that God doesn't take us into some spot where we're going to be tempted. The ask is that God keeps leading us. And that something else doesn't keep leading us. Help us through this. Help me not to get so wrapped up in myself that I've forgotten about everybody else around me. Help me to follow you and walk through this. And the battle will be won. I say it easy. I know it's not easy, but it is possible. And the more you do, say yes to God and no to the temptation in front of you, the more you have freedom back. The more you have peace back in your life. The more you have those things. When you follow Christ, this is what you're going to get. And we go to John, just finish up in John chapter number 13. This is what you're going to get. Because this is where you know that God is leading you and not temptation. John chapter 13, verse number 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples or my followers, if you love one to another. That's how we have our mark, is that we are not thinking about other people. We are not looking for self-gratification and self-protection and doing everything for me. God says, if you want freedom... You think about that other person when that moment comes. How will this make my spouse feel? How will this make my children feel? How will this make my coworkers feel? How will this make other people around me feel? How can I help them better and not me at the moment? All right? That's where the temptation comes. When Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, lead us away from this self-gratification and lead us into a place where God says, follow me. Lead us into a place where we love other people around us first. That's the key. It's simple, but it's hard. But it's possible. Keep the plane flying. Gravity's always going to be there. To the day that we die, gravity's going to be there. 
Keep the plane flying. Keep connecting with God. Keep trying to resync up and work your way back to God. I don't care how far away you feel at the moment, wherever you are in your life, how far away, how disconnected you feel, keep going back because God will honor that and God will bless that and God will get you back flying in the air. Lead us not into temptation. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you.